Hello, and welcome to the National Secular Society podcast. I'm Emma Park, and this week I'll be joined by Chris Sloggett and Helen Nichols to chew over an old bone of contention among secularists, BBC Radio 4's Thought for the Day. We'll be discussing whether it is right that this major programme should confine itself to, as its webpage explicitly states, speakers from the world's major faiths. And while we're on the theme of the influence of religion on everyday life, should parents be entitled to withdraw their children on religious grounds from education on the national curriculum about sex, relationships and religion itself? In the second half of the episode, I'll be speaking to Stephen Evans and Alistair Lichton about a consultation recently launched by the Welsh Government on this issue and the National Secular Society's planned response. Referring to the practice of human sacrifice, the Roman poet Lucretius in the first century BC said, so great are the evils brought about by religion. In the two millennia since then, there is no doubt that significant good has been done in the name of the major world religions. However, they have also been used to justify acts which, to anyone not sharing their doers' beliefs, are, to say the least, unpalatable. At the same time, philosophers from classical antiquity to the present have produced carefully reasoned ethical systems that do not rely on the existence of a deity to explain why it is a good idea to be nice to people. And contrary to the argument frequently made by religions, philosophy, science and the arts have long offered cogent accounts of how it is possible to have a fulfilling life on this earth now. In Britain today, roughly half the population is non-religious and seems to muddle through daily life much like the religious half. Nevertheless, Thought for the Day on Radio 4's flagship Today programme still retains a wholly religious character. In the BBC's own words, the three-minute series is about reflections from a faith perspective on issues and people in the news. But what makes a faith perspective so special as to merit a daily slot on BBC Radio? Is there any equivalent slot for non-faith perspectives? Is the Beeb really as impartial, representative and diverse as it claims? To answer these questions, I'm joined now by Chris Sloggett, Communications Officer at the National Secular Society, and Helen Nichols, the Membership and Finance Officer. Chris, let's start with you. John Humphreys was on Good Morning Britain recently, criticising Thought for the Day. What was he? Make, what point was he making? Yes, so um, John Humphreys, obviously former presenter of uh, the Today programme and who retired very recently, um, appeared on Good Morning Britain, and uh, he was asked about Thought for the Day within this interview, and he called it discriminatory, uh, rather pointless, and anachronistic. Meanwhile, also, one of the contributors to Thought for the Day, in the same week, actually, uh, Indarjit Singh, um, actually quit the slot because he said that the BBC had tried to block him from discussing a guru from his religion, he's a Sikh, uh, who fought against the forced conversion of some Hindus to Islam in 17th century India. So Indarjit Singh was complaining that his free speech had been compromised, essentially. Um, in response to John Humphreys' remarks, we at the NSS have written to the BBC uh, to urge it to reform or scrap thought for the day. So Chris, could you go into a bit more detail? Um, what are the NSS's main objections to thought for the day? So, well, John Humphreys, I think, was right to describe it as discriminatory. Um, it excludes non-religious people. And also it encourages the idea that we all benefit from a bit of religion in the morning. So uh, that's, a, that's a sort of highly contentious view. Um, it also furthers the narrative that morals come from religion, 
Uh, and many people would argue the opposite. And some people would see religion as a source of ill. That, I think, is a legitimate point of view. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, their morals don't come from religion. I noticed that the BBC used to have a whole section on its website called Religion and Ethics, but it seems to have cut that, perhaps, in, in reflection of these ideas. Helen, on that point, how does the NSS propose to reform Thought for the Day? Do you want to get rid of it altogether? It's up to the BBC to decide how to reform it. If most listeners find it tedious, they could scrap it altogether. However, if they want to keep it going, they could easily open it up to non-religious people. Some new perspectives might also liven it up a bit. Make it less boring. You never know. Chris? Yeah, so when we've written to the BBC, what we've suggested is reforming it into an ethical current affairs slot if the BBC is committed to keeping thought for the day. So that would mean religious people could still contribute, but um, that would be on equal terms. You wouldn't have to shoehorn religion in in order to get heard in these, within these three minutes. Um, and given the decline in religious identity across the UK, if the, relig- if the, if the BBC was treating potential contributors equally... Um, you wouldn't necessarily expect religious perspective to dominate such a slot. On the other hand, though, Thought for the Day is only about three minutes long. Does it really matter if such a short slot is reserved for religious figures? Aren't there plenty of other opportunities for non-religious speakers to contribute to the Today programme and the rest of BBC Radio? Helen, what do you think? If it was called Sermon of the Day, maybe it wouldn't matter quite so much. The reason people feel so strongly about this issue is it represents a commonly held view that only religious people are able to give meaningful comment on ethics and how to live a good life. In many respects, it's similar to the collective worship requirement in schools, which rests on the presumption that children cannot have a meaningful school assembly unless they worship a deity that some or even most of those present do not believe in. Thought for the day reminds me a lot of my high school assemblies. It gives us a brief morning sermon in the hope that it'll make us better people. However, the exclusion of non-religious voices implies that they consider those perspectives to be less worthy and less meaningful. Yes, so of course there are plenty of other opportunities for non-religious speakers, but those are opportunities for religious speakers too. Um, yeah, really, there is, there's no part of the Today programme where religious people are excluded. There is a part of the Today programme where non-religious people are excluded. That really is, is, is the key issue there. Sure. Um, How long has the NSS been campaigning on this issue, Helen? For decades. Thought for the Day has existed since the 1970s. In 2002, we were a signatory to a letter to the BBC governors asking for non-religious voices to be allowed on the programme. It led to Richard Dawkins being given a slot to do a secular Thought for the Day. However, they didn't let him go in the regular slot. It was an extra. They didn't want him to desecrate the religious segment with his presence and they didn't want to open the door to other non-believers. As membership officer, have you had any response from the NSS's members about this topic? This topic is dear to the hearts of our members. It was raised at least twice at our last AGM. And one of our affiliate groups, Southeast, the Southeast London Humanist Group, have a monthly protest outside Broadcasting House. I went along once. There was quite a crowd and I saw lots of BBC employees expressing their support as they walked past. While I was there, Sarah Spatsan spoke to some of the organisers about coming onto the Today programme to discuss the protest. I've since heard that they finally did that a few months ago. Their focus is on getting a humanist on the programme, and that's fair enough because they are a humanist group. We put our emphasis on the broader point that a person does not need to subscribe to any clearly defined belief system in order to provide a spot of meaningful reflection at breakfast time. 
Chris, do you think there's a good chance that the BBC will finally reconsider its position? Well, the BBC has been quite stubborn on this in the recent past. We have raised it a few times um, in the last few years. But um, I mean, public opinion may mean that uh, it decides change is overdue. Um, so we commissioned some polling last year and that found that only 18% of British people, that's fewer than one in five, thought that Thought of the Day should always feature religious content. Um, and a lot of people sort of saw Thought of the Day as an irrelevance. They, more than half of respondents um, sort of didn't agree or disagree with the idea that Thought of the Day should still exist. Um, so it, it may be that the BBC partly thinks, well, this just, this just isn't going down very well with the audience. And public opinion may just pressure it into changing as well. There's also, I suppose, the question of whether or not it's compatible with the BBC's commitment to impartiality. Um, I think that's a, a question that the BBC should certainly be asking itself, uh, you know, whether having three minutes within a programme which is specifically designed to pushing this religious agenda, and which, I think, as Helen said, does endorse this idea that religion is the source of ethics and morals, um, whether that is compatible with a public service broadcaster that has a very clear remit uh, to be impartial. But the fact that prominent voices on the Today programme have spoken out suggests there may be some support for reform within the BBC, and uh, I suppose that is an encouraging sign, but we'll just have to wait and see. So whoever these mysterious characters are at the BBC, hopefully they're listening to this podcast now. Chris and Helen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. A new curriculum on religious education and on relationships and sexuality education is due to be introduced in Wales in primary schools and the first year of secondary schools in 2022. The Welsh Government has recently launched a consultation entitled Ensuring Access to the Full Curriculum, which considers the impact that would be made on parents if they were no longer allowed to withdraw their children from RE and RSE classes for religious reasons. The Welsh Government is also considering whether to change the title of RE to Religions and Worldviews. Are these good ideas? I'm now joined by Stephen Evans, CEO of the National Secular Society, and Alistair Lichton, Head of Education. Stephen, starting with you, why has the Welsh Government launched this consultation? What's the purpose behind it and why now? So this is all part of a broader project to overhaul education and create a new curriculum for Wales. Um, it's probably the biggest reform to Welsh schools for decades. Um, so as part of that reform, the Welsh Government is proposing to ensure that every child in a maintained school in Wales has the right to access a broad, a balanced curriculum. Um, this includes access to religious education and relationships and what they're calling sexuality education, uh, RSE. So to do that, they're reforming the subjects and removing the long-standing parental opt-out. Now, the government says, and I quote, that it wants all children and young people to have access to learning that supports them to develop tolerance, empathy, and understanding of different people, cultures, and communities, and in understanding their rights and the rights of others. So this all sounds really good, really positive, um, but the parental opt-outs um, have long existed in education uh, to protect parental rights and religious freedoms, particularly where RE has sometimes been more akin to religious instruction um, and not 
not really a proper academic subject like anything else in school. So this is a contentious move from the Welsh Government. Um, and I think if they plan to remove the opt-out in faith schools, they may well have a legal problem. So this consultation is really about working out where the crunch points are and what the implications of this shift in policy might be. Just picking up on the legal problem, what would the legal problem be? Well, the legal problem is that the uh, parental rights to raise their child in accordance with their own beliefs is actually protected under human rights legislation. So uh, if the courts were to decide that the way schools, uh, the way in which schools were teaching religious education actually constituted a form of indoctrination or inculcation into a particular faith, then there may be a human rights problem. I see. Alistair, what's the NSS's assessment of the proposal so far? Um, well, like a range of uh, civil society organisations, we've been very involved in this process. This is a process that has gone on uh, for many years. There's been lots of consultations. There's been plenty of opportunity um, for people to put their views across as uh, you know, the evolving settlement has um, proposal has come forward. And to be honest with you, I feel like at every stage of the process, if someone's asked me to you know, summarise how do we feel about the proposals at the moment, I'd probably just say cautiously, cautiously optimistic. Uh, and I'd probably try and find lots of different ways of phrasing cautiously, cautiously optimistic. Um, that's because at, if we look at the big picture stuff, um, we've been very supportive of the aims and the values put forward by the current education minister, Kirsty Williams, and also her predecessor. But then when we look down at the details, we often see that this, this big picture, great ambitious stuff often gives way um, to a failure to tackle some of the more difficult questions, particularly entrenched religious interests. And as Stephen said, obviously, we all want students, pupils to have access to high quality, inclusive, accurate, broad and balanced uh, religious religion and worldviews or religious or religious education and of course also rse but it's um very often the devil is in the detail sure and on, on just looking at this particular issue of making sex education and re mandatory and picking up on what stephen said a bit earlier about um parents rights to bring up their children um in their own way how far do you think that the current proposals would infringe on parents' right to bring up their children? Um, is there a danger that the state could be meddling too much? I think we always need to be mindful of that danger, but not um, not to, uh, not take the necessary concerns too far. Clearly, this is one of the contentious and difficult issues in the RE uh, or the, the whole curriculum uh, reform process. So we can see why the Welsh Government decided to separate this question out into a separate consultation. However, it's also important to separate the issues around um, the right to withdraw from RE and the right to withdraw from what used to be called sex education, what is now called RSE, because the reasons these rights exist and the historic way in which they've been used has some similarities, but it's also um, very different. In principle, again, this is going back to the big picture stuff, in principle, we agree that all children should receive all parts of the curriculum. Uh, no pupil in a school should, uh, should ha uh, be shielded from some particular subject or some particular knowledge. 
But the right to withdraw from RE exists because there is a history of RE being used to promote either specific religious worldviews or a more positive uh, view of uh, faith in general. The reason the right to withdraw from uh, what was called sex education existed was much more because some groups wanted to shield pupils from particular knowledge. I don't think people really want to, you know, by and large, want to shield people from knowledge about different religions. It's just that they have concerns over how RE is sometimes taught. Um, so there are areas where, you know, I think there's often a tendency within the RE community, and we see this very much in the consultation document, to simply have a positive rose-tinted glasses that all of the problems which necessitate the right to withdraw have been solved and it's completely not necessary anymore. And that's not really the case. We do, we do still see cases where parents feel that RE is being used to promote a particular worldview which they don't agree with. It's not how they choose to raise their children and so they feel they have little choice but to withdraw. Do you think the problem with this, Alistair, is really about um, continuing the right to withdraw? Do you think it's just a question of reforming the way RE is taught? If we reform, if we get all of the reforms that we'd like to the way that RE, or I guess we should start getting used to calling RW, is taught, then the right to withdraw shouldn't be necessary. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a review of some guidance that came out from the Welsh Association of Sacrates, and I think that kind of very much illustrated the problem with the right to withdraw. Uh, this is a group of uh, local local, uh, local authority groups that deal with religious education, and they point out some very common sense things that the right to withdraw from RE is a bit of an anomaly. It causes problems and confusions for schools sometimes, and it is sometimes used by parents for prejudicial reasons. Um, but equally, you can't just entirely dismiss people's legitimate concerns, uh, particularly in faith schools where RE is inspected to ensure it is promoting a religious worldview, where it has that continuing legacy of that purpose. Stephen, what about the right to withdraw from um, sex education or RSE? Is, are there any circumstances in which this would be um, justifiable, or do you think all children always should be taught these subjects? Uh, no, with regard to RSE, I think that all children should have a right to access high-quality relationships and sex education, and I think that should be LGBT-inclusive as well, because all the evidence tells us that this leads to better health outcomes, both sexual health and mental health we're talking about there. So I don't think parental rights should trump children's independent rights in that instance. Um, so I think I and certainly the National Secular Society would support plans for an end to the right of withdrawal from relationships and sex education. Um, Alistair, um, any further comments on RSE? Yeah, I mean, we do see cases, for example, in an annex to our um, unsafe sex education report of last year, we identified uh, faith schools in Wales who were uh, using RSE for promoting uh, particular religious worldviews, uh, particularly anti-LGBT teachings, anti-reproductive uh, uh, rights information. The solution, and, and so, you know, if a school were using RSE just to, to promote the idea that homosexuality is wrong, as Catholic faith schools do, I can see why a parent might want to withdraw their child from that lesson. But I think the solution there is to fix that bad practice rather than keeping this sort of strange right to withdraw. But if, we often see if you keep it for one person, you end up having to keep it for lots more. 
Stephen, where do the children's human rights to have RSE fit into all this? Yeah, it's a good question. Children's rights, uh, I think, often get neglected in these conversations where I think there's an undue uh, uh, focus and emphasis on the parents' rights and the parents' religious beliefs. Um, but parents' and children's best interests aren't actually always in alignment, as some people seem to assume. So generally speaking, I don't think pupils should have the right to withdraw from education. I don't think it's a kind of pick and mix offering that schools have. I, I don't think children, generally speaking, should be able to just, you know, pick and choose what subjects they, they learn and what they don't. But when that line between education and instruction are even indoctrination is crossed, I think not only parents, but pupils should also uh, be free to opt themselves out. So particularly, I think, where acts of worship are involved or where RE is used as some sort of vehicle to uh, inculcate pupils into a particular faith, then I think pupils' right to freedom of religion or belief should be respected by them being able to opt themselves out. Um, and certainly as children develop a maturity and the ability to decide things for themselves, they should be encouraged to do so. Um, and this is recognised, of course, in law through the, the Gillip principle, uh, Gillip competency it's known as, which establishes that parental rights diminish uh, with the child's evolving maturity. Um, but obviously because the Welsh Government say that the reformed religion and worldview subject is objective and broad and balanced, they're not actually proposing any pupil right of withdrawal. They're, you know, they're even removing the parental right of withdrawal. But as we've already covered, I think there may be a problem uh, when they get to the area of faith schools, which obviously uh, will teach about religion and worldviews in a particular way. So is the solution to, um, to allow children to withdraw from particular subjects in faith schools or is the solution to get rid of faith schools? That's nice and simple. Um, well, certainly, I, I, I think all um, all parts of the school day in every school should be inclusive uh, of all pupils. So I think the only way you really get to a, a properly uh, broad, balanced and pluralistic education system is if you have an inclusive secular education system and you don't allow religious organisations to run schools. Because speaking as a former teacher, I would just be slightly worried that if children had the right to withdraw from certain lessons, how are they really to know what counts as education and what counts as indoctrination? Sure. And, and, and as I said right at the beginning, I don't think pupils should be able to pick and choose what areas of the curriculum they learn. I think the emphasis should be on making sure the curriculum is appropriate for all pupils. So who supports these changes apart from the NSS? Um, well, I think that remains to be seen. I think there is certainly broad support for reform of religious education um, and making sure that non-religious worldviews are given a fair hearing. Uh, too often, religious education across the UK has been dominated by religious interests. So anything that takes us away from that, I think, is positive. And I think most people, uh, whether religious or not, will actually recognise that. But I imagine that both faith and secular groups will be concerned to see any reduction in parental rights around religious education and religious freedom. Uh, so whilst faith schools exist and RE can be used as advertising space for religion in schools, I'm certainly not convinced, and I don't think the NSS is convinced yet that the time has come to remove the right to withdraw. It's interesting, actually, not so much to talk about the right to withdraw, but RE reform more generally, that the Catholic Education Service in England, they, they were just so radically against the very similar proposals which were made there 
but seem to be either okay or supportive of similar proposals in Wales. And it, I think, goes to show that policymakers have more flexibility where faith schools are less entrenched. And on that point, Alistair, how great are the substantive changes that are going to be made to the national curriculum in these subjects rather than just the changes in names? I think this is the largest curriculum overhaul project um, in recent in recent history in the UK. Um, RE or RW is going to be embedded in a broader humanities area of learning, something uh, which we're in favour of. Uh, but we're still going to see uh, SACRES, that's local standing advisory councils on religious education. We're still going to see faith groups determining the syllabus within uh, faith schools. There's a move towards reflecting the changing religious demogra- demographics and uh, greater inclusion of non-religious worldviews. Uh, they've introduced something called the plural, the pluralist requirement, and they've put that in capital letters. That sounds very important. And But that doesn't solve every problem. I think there's often this idea that all these problems can just be solved by greater breadth. So, well, you know, we uh, RE has become what started off as just an advertising space for Christianity, and then it became an advertising space for Christianity and also other religions, and now let's give a bit of advertising space for humanism. But that doesn't solve all the problems. Uh, the consultation document talks about that oh, there won't be there won't be any indoctrination in the subject, but you can have bias within the subject without it rising to the level you'd call indoctrination. You can have you know, a biased view being presented, an inculcation, an immersion in a religious uh, way of thinking, increasing focus on the importance of religious views. So there are going to be substantive changes to the content, but what about the names of the subjects? In fact, there are two changes proposed. This idea that sex education is going to be renamed relationships and sexuality education, and that religious education is going to be renamed religions and worldviews. Alistair, can you tell us what is the idea behind these proposed changes? I think the RSE name change draws uh, strongly on the recommendations of the Welsh Government's own expert panel. Uh, It reflects that it's about rights and responsibilities in all types of relationships. And so it discusses a wider range of issues than simply, uh, you know, physics and mechanics of sex or sexual relationships. RSE covers peer relationships, relationships with adults, the understanding of of children's what their rights are. So it draws in things like uh, anti-bullying, other ethical issues. The RE slash RW name change, again, that draws on recommendation of experts, in this case from the Commission on on RE. Uh, That's intended to give the subject a fresh start and uh, increase the importance and the relative esteem of non-religious worldviews. Are these name changes themselves going to make a difference to the way the curriculum is taught or its content, or are they just window dressing? People in the RE community do love discussing possible subject name changes. So I think a subject name change can send an important message, but ultimately it is about more than just a name change. We need to... Uh, you need a cultural change you need uh, the curriculum content and not just the content but you need strong protections of what are the values of this subject I think we should also recognize that the name still frames religion as the default 
the, the subject, the curriculum and content talks about worldviews that are analogous to religion. So religion and worldviews. And that definitely places non-religious worldviews in a quite a limited, in a, in a limited sense of understanding. So it leads to just non-religious worldviews and humanism being used synonymously. Uh, it leads to uh, approaching the study of non-religious worldviews as if they're also as if they're also religious, and it frames that religion is the important one, and non-religious worldviews are very much secondary. So we do need uh, the cultural change to completely move beyond faith promotion. We need to see that it's not just a problem if a faith school or another school is promoting just their religion as true. It's also a problem other forms of bias. And these can sometimes be subconscious bias because many within the RE community do see their job as promoting a positive view of faith. And particularly in faith schools where it's not just a positive view of faith, but a positive view of a specific faith, that's always going to have an institutional bias. So far, we've been talking about changes which apply to the maintained sector in Wales. Stephen, what about in the private sector and what about in the rest of the UK? Um, well, as you'd expect, private schools do have greater freedoms. Uh, they don't have to follow the national curriculum. Uh, and parental rights of withdrawal have actually only ever applied in the state sector. They don't apply in the independent, independent sector anyway. Um, that said, schools in the independent sector should still certainly be held to uh, particular specific standards and they certainly shouldn't be able to undermine the rights of children as set out in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Um, with regard to the rest of the country, well, in terms of religious education, progress has been and continues to be painfully slow. Uh, reform of RE appears not to be high on the list of government priorities, certainly in England. Um, last year we saw the findings of an independent commission on religious education, which made various recommendations uh, broadly in the right direction, as far as we're concerned, I think. But the um, but the response from the government has been disappointing, to say the least. Um, you know, make no mistake, religious education is withering on the vine, uh, certainly in England, um, uh, which you know many people may think is no bad thing, with some justification, I might add. Um, community schools often neglect the teaching of RE or, or do it badly. Uh, faith schools certainly teach it, but tend to teach it in a more biased and partisan sort of way. So the subject for me has little credibility left and it really does need a, a significant reform. Um, but there's no sign of that reform uh, anytime soon, unfortunately. What I think we need to see is all vestiges of confessionalism removed. And in fact, I would move away from the whole concept of religious education as a specific area of the curriculum, as a, as a separate and distinct subject. I definitely think pupils should be entitled to learn about religions and beliefs, about diversity of religions and beliefs and their impact on society. Um, but, you know, teaching a religion and belief could absolutely be part of a broader civics-based curriculum that teaches, yes, about religion and belief and about religious diversity, but also about human rights, politics, the democratic process, and what it means to be a citizen. Um, and education about secularism, of course, I think would form part of that subject. And we have an amazing range of free resources at exploringsecularism.org.
Stephen, anything further to add to that? Uh, not really. Just that I hope the listeners in Wales uh, will engage in this consultation and certainly make their views known. Uh, we'll be emailing uh, members and supporters. I'm sure we'll also be posting details about how to get involved in our weekly newsline bulletin. So, um, yeah, stay tuned. Stephen and Alistair, thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. That was episode 17 of the National Secular Society podcast, hosted by Emma Park. If you would like to help us challenge religious privilege and support freedom of and from religion in Britain today, why not become a member of the NSS? Full details are on our website at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you like this podcast, you can find more episodes on the website, along with further information about the topics discussed. Thanks for listening.